those nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. You're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Bell, and we're with Paul Gover, a long experienced man of the mountain and of motorsport in general. And of late of News Corps and various other establishments. But uh, good to have you on board, Paul, again. And we're wanting to talk specifically about the age of the grid and the changing face of supercars. Um, just to give you some stat background, that this year the average age of a driver in the top 10 at Bathurst is 29 years and 9 months. Last year it was 32 years and 2 months. And in 2019, it was 34 years and five months. So in the space of three years, it's dropped four and a half years, which is an extraordinary amount. Well, I think that's just a reflection of the world. How old is Max Verstappen? 13. He's been racing in Formula One since he was six. You know, kids start much younger. You know, Dick Johnson, did he race go-karts? No. Did um, Peter Brock race go-karts? Well, not really, no. They had the toy at the farm, but kids start much earlier. What you need to look at is not their age on the calendar, it's their age in racing. Have you thought about that, Tony? And the other thing is, two brand new births yesterday, you know. Here at the mountain, we've seen the new Camaro and the Mustang. They're coming in 2023, so that brings the age down even further. <laughs> um, obviously, the introduction this year of two rookies at Erebus had a big change on the paddock because there are two rookies who already have established themselves well and truly as earning their stripes here. They're not just passengers, they're not being paid you know, to, to do the job of somebody who should be here. They are well and truly established here. Well, you know, Brody Kostecki's been racing NASCAR and doesn't he look like a NASCAR racer? Big and tough, you can just see him down the back punching some bloke who thoroughly deserves it. And little Will Brown, you know, the pocket rocket. Well, I first met him was in Formula 4 and he's won in everything, you know. He won in Formula 4, he won in uh, 2886s, which is still a great proving ground, and then he won in TCR. So although they're rookies in supercars, they've come up with lots of success, both of them, and, and they're very fully formed. And I don't buy into this whole, well, you know, it's all because of, uh, you know, Paul the Dude Morris up, up at Norwell having this little farming academy where he produces. That's just a bunch of kids who go out and, and rock it around on weekends. You know, Brock Feeney and those two guys, um, they go and play there on weekends. So they have a good social thing. Um, maybe Paul and his driver whisperer, whose name I can't remember right the second, but they have people who can coach guys. But those guys have the talent. And, and you said before, you know, they're, they're not, they didn't buy their way in. They're there on merit. And, and, and full marks to Barry Ryan at Erebus for giving those guys a go, but then also giving them the support and the cars they need to go fast. One of the things that we've seen in our time around the sport, of course, is from, it was driver owners, Brocks and Johnsons, et cetera, et cetera. 
And, and of course, that changed in about middle 90s. Yep. And that suddenly you were getting drivers who were being employed. You know, Johnny Bow was probably one of you know, the, the early yep. ones that, that got, earned that stripe. Um, and it's been fascinating to see that continuing and the average age coming down and down and down. Yeah, but it has everything to do with the fact that those blokes got old. <laughs> you know, it yes. wasn't a deliberate decision. You think Dick Johnson went, oh, I think I'll just go and hire a young bloke. No, Shell said, you're old. We need a young bloke who can win. You know, they didn't make that decision. You know, Peter Brock got pulled kicking and screaming out of the Holden racing team, you know. They just got old and they thought, oh, what am I going to do now? Oh, I don't want to sit at home and watch it on the TV. So they had all the equipment. So they became a team owners. I think the first professional team owner, really was um, was uh, Fred Gibson, yeah. right? With Nissan, set up a team, factory team, blah, blah, blah. Never never drove, never thought about, you know what I mean? In the early days, he was still driving when they first set that thing up. He was driving the Bluebird. Yeah. But but he became a professional team boss and, and ran it as a professional team. And you look at the success they had through the GDRs, then into the, into the um, Commodores, and then the financial thing became too much of a strain for him. But then he came back, you know, in the in the double O era with with Lowndes. So I think you've got to look at more than just the raw numbers with these sort of things. You look at where people are at and what they're doing. I mean, Dick Johnson is still a, a part-time team owner these, you know, right now. Um, and they've got, you know, Anton Di Pasquale is a, another ripper young talent. So the other thing is these kids are getting more experience and more knowledge and more speed at a younger age. Yeah. So Anton's already been to Europe and failed, ba-bow, like, oh, his teammate, Will Davison, also failed, ba-bow, came back. Will Davo owed $1.5 million when he came back. Yeah. You know, so they're trying to get to where they're going. You, you talked about Will Brown, in fact. Um, it's an interesting case because, of course, some years ago, you'd almost hear in the paddock, oh, yeah, but he, he drives front-wheel drive cars. And of course, he won in everything he's done. Formula yeah. Ford, Formula Four, as you say, TCR, 86s, doesn't matter what it was. And clearly has shown that if you've got speed, it transfers from one to another. Now, the TCR. It's TC not about speed, it's about talent. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's not just about speed. That's the thing about Will is the reason he's where he's at is not because he can drive a car fast, but he knows how to race. He's a racer's racer. And, and the other part of that, of course, is also that like Tom Randall, they know how to win championships. It's, it's not trying to fight for that corner because I've got to be in front. It's, gee, I'll hang back and wait for the next corner. Or you weren't here at Bathurst at the start of the year and, and last year when Will crashed, were you? No. <laughs> right? You've got to remember, you know, like he's still learning and he has made yeah, mistakes, yeah. you know. Oh, and by the way, it's Thomas Randall. He doesn't like being called Tom. His name is Thomas. So I now call him not Tom. <laughs> These things you learn from coming here since 1980 something, and you know, and 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 working in the pit lane since the 70s. God, I just made myself feel old. Oh. Is racing in Australia better now than in the 70s, or is it just all too easy to put on those rosy coloured glasses and say, you know, I like the old stuff better than the new stuff? It's better. Why is it better? Um, it's well, we've got all these young kids. And you've got to remember, hey, back in the day, you'd have three... You'd have Jane, Gagan, Moffat. And then the next bloke's probably Jimmy McEwen in a Cortina. So you've got Camaro, Mustang, Mustang, oh, Cortina. You know, a Porsche. 
So the gap, look at the gaps. Now, I don't buy into this whole, oh, 26 cars covered by three tenths of a second. Of course that's going to happen. You've got bloody parity rules. It's always going to be that tight. But the fact of the matter was, back in the day, there were huge gaps between the, those guys. You know, Dick Johnson was running a Tirana XU1 long before he went to Ford, but he'd be half a lap behind, you know, doing a great job. And look at the size of the grids back there. Huge crowds. I was at Oran Park, the most famous touring car race of all time, Jane against Gagan. I was there that day. You don't see that sort of crowd in motorsport anymore. Um, Maybe at Bathurst you get big crowds, but generally speaking, you know, I've been to Sydney Motorsport Park for the last four consecutive weekends. Let me tell you, there weren't many people there. But <clears throat> that's not what it's about now. It's about the TV show as well. One of the interesting things that, you know, in my time in, in the 90s and 2000s is that we've actually seen the demise of something like Formula Ford where the Ross Stones of the world um, would wander over to the fence to see the new young kids. Yeah, well... That's a disgrace. Yeah. You know, um, Formula Ford was effectively put on the back burner so that Formula Four could come, Formula Four number four could come through in Australia and we we're going to have this global formula. It never was going to work. But CAMS, now Motorsport Australia, put all their eggs in that basket and guess what? They all went foul and terrible and they didn't get cooked. Um, it wasn't what people want. They didn't go and talk to the competitors about what they wanted. They just said, we're going to have this category. Oh, and by the way, because that's going to be the national championship, Formula Ford isn't. And what they've ended up doing is t killing two categories. They spend an awful lot of money trying to get people involved in Formula 4 and buying cars. Well, that's not the job of Motorsport Australia, to go and buy cars and do all that sort of stuff. Um, and then at the same time, Formula Ford fell off, the, fell off the planet. And what's Formula Ford like? Let me tell you, last weekend at Phillip Island, do you know who finished second overall? No. Davison. Mm -hmm. Father of Alex <laughs> and Will, right? Yeah. Right? He's as old as me. And he's driving him a Van Diemen RF86. Yes. Shows that he's still crazy and, and, and all of that, but it just says something about the standard of Formula Ford right now that a historic bloke in a historic car can come second overall. It's disappointing. I, I learned yesterday that it's unlikely that we're going to see another super meet like this where you've got all these categories, 10 categories, at the one meeting. Right. And that um, TCR won't be on the grid again with supercars. No, why would it be? Yeah. The, 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 no, this super meeting isn't, is only happening because they had to get everything in and done and dusted, right? And the fact of the matter is, it's only also happening because the ARG, which is responsible for all those categories, is now a partner in supercars. So there's more of a a detente, if you like, between the two camps instead of fighting. But the other thing about this is, remember, Australia needs two levels. We can't go around just having supercars, oh, and a whole bunch of blokes driving their road cars around and, and Davison turning up in his 100-year-old Formula Ford. So the whole thing about it is the ARG thing, which becomes the Shannon's Nationals, is the second tier. It's always going to be the second tier. It was always planned as the second tier. What'll be interesting to see is, in the genuine supercars championship, which categories cross over. Now, I've done a bit of research, so supercars next year, there will be S5000s that race on the thing, and I'm pretty sure touring car, um, what are they called, the, master, the, old, the old timers? Touring car masters. Yeah. Yeah, touring car masters will also be on the supercars program. But remember also, 
Porsche pays to have the Carrera Cup on the program. Toyota pays to have the 86 thing. Well, I don't see the, the Trans Am people paying to be on the Supercars program. Yeah. One thing I can promise you, you won't see Trans Am cars on their program ever again because it's too close, yeah. right? So what you'll end up is, again, with a two-tier thing, but with much more thought going into it because it's one because race, which owns the whole thing, which will have a good menu for the uh, race have, weekend. Yeah, exactly. They can have a men- yeah a good menu for the race weekend, and they can have two good championships, and, and they'll have a two tier strategy about how it all works. Yeah. Now the TCR thing is a great idea, and it's global. It's the same as GTs. We need to have those sort of categories, and there'll be young guys. Uh, you know, there are guys coming up for the TCR. Will Brown proves it works as a way to nurture some talent, and it doesn't cost much money. So. If you're, I mean, I've got a 12-year-old son, thankfully he doesn't interest in, he's not interested in being a race car driver, but if I was going to put him into something, instead of spending a fortune to put him in Super 2 and Super 3, you can put him in TCR for almost, you know, a, a tenth of that money, yep. see if he's any good, and if he is, then you can move him around from there, as Will Brown did. Um, and... and you say that they're not going to watch, they're not watching Formula Ford anymore, but I can tell you that the team owners are looking at the TCR grid. And the, and the good thing about that is this year you've got Chazzy Mostert in there. Yep. So it's a proper benchmark. Yep. You know, it's not like Dick Johnson, age 84, driving around a TCR car. Like, well, sorry, did you mention Jason Bargwana there? No, no, you didn't. <clears throat> so, you know, they're, they're, it's just the whole thing is morphing in a different way. Yep. Um, and as a journalist, that's good fun for me because I can go and see those things, but also trying to work out who's good and who's not good, um, you know, this weekend we've had the S5000 running around and a whole bunch of the kids are in there have forgotten they're not, they don't have doors or, and, and mud guards around them and crashing into the scenery and bending suspension yes. because they've never had that discipline of driving a high-speed single-seater at a track like Bathurst. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and there are a few people that you put a line through because they haven't done it. But Nathan Hearn, right? Yep. To, you know, this time last year, huge argument about whether he was going to get a super licence or not. He clearly has the talent to be in supercars. Indeed. Um, And I gather from this conversation that you're pretty optimistic about the future for motorsport in Australia. Well, I'm just optimistic about everything. Every every morning I get up and it's a woo-hoo moment, you know. I mean, I'm not... You made another one. Yeah, I'm not old, but I'm not young. Um, And I I like to have a car. People accuse me of being a grumpy old person, but, you know, my cup is half full, always has been. And... You have to adjust, you know, like you, the, the, the big word now for the, the millennials and all those blokes is pivot. You know, you have to pivot. So when you lose your job, you have to pivot. And when you lose your girlfriend or boyfriend, you've got to pivot. Well, motorsport is at the point where it needs to pivot as well. They need new owners in supercars to revitalise the thing and turn it into a proper entertainment category the way it was when Tony Cochran was here. Again, and Tony would have would be looking at it. Well, I've spoken to him. He's not very happy with what's happened in the last couple of years. But once you get that locked in, and you've now got this ARG category program coming through, and it, you know the two things can can work well together. Um, the problem at the moment is that all of the supercar team owners have got all these second-hand cars that they want to see filtering into Super Two and Super Three. So of course they're pushing that. But really, there are a whole bunch of people in Super 2 and Super 3 who are, well, they either have money or, or you know, or yeah. a bit of enthusiasm or whatever, but, you know, not, not ever going to be professional race car drivers. 
Well, thanks for joining us on Inside Supercars, Paul Gover. Now that Dirk Kleinsmith has left the building, then that's a new position that you could take, maybe. Yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the resident Oscar, Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. That'll be me. Rawr, get out of here. Go on, get back to work, you two. Thanks, Paul Gover. Oh. <laughs> so who? Oh, look, look, we've just wrapped up, and here he comes yeah. in with a late question. That's right. So who, Paul Gover? Do you say people should watch out for? There's guys in Super 2, as you mentioned. There's guys in TCR. Who is the young guy that you're keeping your eye on and think that this guy could make it? Zach Bates. Now, people will say I'm biased because uh, Rick Bates and Neil Bates are friends of mine and, uh, and, and Harry and Lewis are his cousins. But Zach Bates, what he's done in 86s this year is astounding. He won seven or eight races in a row in 86s. Um, he got beaten yesterday up here on Saturday. Uh, hang on, what day is it? Friday. Friday here. See, this super meeting is just, it's been going on for three weeks. Um, yeah, Zach Bates is really, really good, but there are a whole bunch of other kids. You know, Dylan O'Keefe I've seen around the place. Nathan Hearn is very, very good. Um, there's always new talent coming through. It's just a question of whether it, it gets the, whether you get the breaks you need, whether it's got the backing or whatever. Um, sadly, money talks and bullshit walks in in motorsport always has done we were talking earlier about you know nicky louder had to buy his way into formula one and he became a three-time world champion and a legend but you know and, and and long has it been that way in the old days you had to have enough money for, to have a car and probably a garage to prepare the thing you know the dick johnsons and the peter brocks and those guys and it it hasn't changed it's just the scale and the size of the numbers that's changed but you're other gig has been for years looking at the motoring industry and the motoring trends and i have contended that we've lost the car culture in australia and that's significantly hurting the motor racing culture yeah i don't think it's hurting the motor racing culture there are people who you're right that we're not winning young kids to motor racing um and again i've got a 12 year old so he plays racing games but he's not interested in racing but what we need is to have personalities. You know, Brock, Johnson, Moffat, they are the people that brought the fans. It wasn't what they were driving. For goodness sake, Moffat drove a Mazda RX-7, you know, rice burner back in the day. Everybody hated the car and loved Alan. Well, I don't know they loved Alan. He, was a bit, he made me look like Captain Happy. Um, but the thing about it is we don't need the car culture. What we need is an entertainment culture, you know. The movie industry still entertains people. You and I will probably go along to most of the movies today and go, oh, I don't like that. But it's, here's the word again, they pivot to, to suit the audience. We don't need car companies. Car companies are not interested, generally speaking, in motor racing because it doesn't sell cars. Ford and Chevrolet are using supercars. It's a good halo for the brand. Um, and it helps them draw people in. It's not necessarily about selling cars. It might be about getting engineers to go and work for the company. It's a different time, a different strategy. And, and for goodness sake, the top two selling cars in Australia are the Ford Ranger and the Toyota Hilux, which are those dreadful four-door, underdone you know, pickup trucks. And let's not call them utes because they're not utes. They're not utility vehicles, they're pickups. So you know, the pickup racing, there's no racing culture involved with pickups. And that's the way the world's gone. Then there's no racing culture involved in SUVs. So does it matter? No, it doesn't matter a jot. You've just got to create a, a, a product 
with engaging people. You know, the football codes don't survive anymore on the fact that you support whatever your local team was. You're from Melbourne, so it's probably, you know, it's probably Geelong or something, right? They support a player and they follow that player around, whatever code it is, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Motor racing is the, has always been the same. They follow people, but, the, but because the show's been run by the bosses, you know, the team owners and all of, all of that, they think that it's about the cars and the teams and all that. It's not about the bloody drivers. You know, Will Brown has a huge fan base. Anton Di Pasquale has a huge fan base. And that will get bigger when they realise how to pivot and get the audience engaged with a younger group of people that those young guys can speak to. And when we go back to your example, Brock Moffat, Alan was willing to wear the black hat. Well, I don't think he was willing. He just... He just... He but just he played the part. Oh, no. No, no, he no. did You weren't there. He didn't play the part. Alan was the black hat. We, we used to joke... Well, Brock wasn't the white hat, as we all know. Well, he was in motor racing, and, and as a bloke he was. The, thing, the interesting thing about Alan, and he's a good friend of mine, um, we... One of, our, one of our close mates who used to work at the Daily Telegraph, a guy called Wayne Webster, one night said to him, you know, where's Alan? And he said, what do you mean? And then Alan was quite let's say, uh, well lubricated at the time. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're not Alan, you're Arthur, his evil twin brother. And Arthur was the bloke away from the races. And we, for the longest time, would say, who's in the garage, Alan or Arthur? And if it was Alan, you didn't go in, but if Arthur was in there, it was a good time. So, but Alan, Alan was so focused on motor racing that he had no room for anything else. And that's why he was such a terrible bloke to deal with. And the, and the fans would tell you that as well. But let me tell you, Jamie Winkup, who's suddenly become Captain Happy this year, for the last, you know, through all of his championship years, was he the nicest bloke to be around? No. Have you tried to go and talk to Shane Van Gisbergen during a race meeting? Let me tell you, he's an evil piece of work to deal with. But he's not here to win fans and influence people. He's here to win motor racing. But until you get that culture... Of a well, guy who'll wear the whole, he'll wear the white cap, he'll wear the black cap. No, but they don't. They they, they have to. No, they don't. The whole thing about it is, it's not about whether they want to wear the black cap or the white cap. It's about having media that makes them be that way. Russell Ingle loved being the black hat, and, and we knew the deal. But that was because I nicknamed him the Enforcer, and suddenly he realised he could sell merchandising off being the Enforcer. And we, he's downstairs at 157 years old, still selling Enforcer merchandise. You know, he's still the Enforcer. But the thing about it is, what's changed? It's not the drivers, it's not the media, it's the sponsors. So... Will Davison goes on the TV straight after race when he fires up and says, that bloke ran me off the road. By the time he gets to the media, he's already thinking, oh, what will Shaw think about this? What will the other spot? Oh, no, I'll, I'll wind it down because they won't be happy. Well, what you need is some sponsors who just go, you know what? You just be yourself. And, and Brody and Will are in a team with Barry Ryan when they can do that. The other good thing is the next couple of years at least, that, car, that team's sponsored by Boost Mobile. Now, who's the most inflammatory person in pit lane today? It's Peter Adderton, the boss of Boost, by a country mile. Well, a country kilometre, you know. Um, they just need to be given the right encouragement to get out and speak instead of being muzzled all the time because of the corporate world. Lewis Hamilton is so controlled in Formula One. All of them are so controlled. Max Verstappen, who's one of the most outspoken, is with Red Bull, and Red Bull gives them the, the leeway to do that. You know, it's about having a whole package. Um, and hopefully the new ownership of supercars will understand that and take the muzzle off them 
and then we can have blokes having a blue, which is what it's all about. You've got to have a fine, you know? Otherwise, it's all too sanitised and too nicey-nice. Okay. Thank oh. you for joining us, Paul Gover, on Inside Supercars. Well, it's been a pleasure, and, uh, and, and good to see that we got going again after you'd signed off for the whole day. Have a good time. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more, or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.